0: So would you pray with me? God, we praise you and we thank you that you are trustworthy. God, we thank you that, um, Lord, you offer us true and living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we put our hope in a God who came and died for us, not only died, but was raised to life. So God, we thank you that you have defeated sin, you have defeated death, you have defeated our enemy. And because of that, we have eternal hope hope an unchanging hope so god i pray in a new year lord that you would deepen our hope in you our trust in you Lord. whatever lot you give us lord help us to turn to you and to trust in you we pray in jesus name amen i first met my wife uh, lindsay at cedarville university and uh, in fact, we actually met the first weekend uh, of freshman year at kind of this kickoff party uh, to kind of kick off the school year. Now, I, I met Lindsay, and, uh, and I remember telling my friends about Lindsay. Um, I, I remember saying to my friends, man, I, I met Lindsay Neal, which was her maiden name, and, uh, and this is the girl that I'm going to pursue. This is the girl that I'm going to date. Now, if you ask Lindsay, she doesn't remember meeting me at this party. That's how good first impressions are for me. Uh, but long story short, um, we were friends for the first couple of years, uh, and then we decided to start dating uh, after, after a couple of years. And that was tricky because it was, on one hand, really helpful to have that foundation of friendship before we started dating, um, but I had to make it abundantly clear that I was not content staying in the friend zone, right? And I had to make it clear that not, not by just spending more time with her or by complimenting her more or by surprising her with cookies and, and coffee, but I had to make it so clear to her that I was now pursuing her. And what I did was I took her on a walk around Cedar Lake. Now, if, if, you, uh, if you didn't go to Cedarville, that means nothing to you. But what you need to know is that this was a statement. All right, this was a big deal. This was me making a loud declaration that I am now pursuing this woman, and I may, in fact, buy, uh, buy a ring uh, before spring. Okay, that, that was kind of the, uh, the, the statement on campus there. And now, when you took someone kind of around Cedar Lake that you were pursuing— this was also the place that you had a DTR, okay? Kind of this uh, define the relationship conversation. And, uh, and a DTR is, is where two people uh, kind of come together. They have this conversation about, about who they are, right? What they want the relationship to be, uh, right? Like, like they have this conversation about their expectations and their aspirations about this relationship. And they're really important conversations, right? They're they're important because they have the ability to shape how this relationship will be different than other relationships. Well, I share that with you because uh, those DTR conversations are not just important for dating relationships, but they're also really important for churches. That as we begin uh, 2021, over these first couple of weeks, church, I want to have a a DTR with you. I want want to talk about who we are as a church. I want to talk about uh, what's really important to us and and what our core values are. And I think that this is really important because um, even though we've had a lot of visitors in 2020, uh, but we've, you know, we've entered into this new building, we've got these new core values, and I think they're important to talk about uh, about who we are and what's really important for us. Now it's true that every church has the same, basically the same mission, right? It's the great commission from Jesus in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you." Right? That that is every church's assignment. For us at Pennington Park, we have taken that great commission and we've kind of summarized it in our own words with our own mission statement, which is out there on the wall in the lobby, which is to know Jesus and to make him known to others, right? Everything that we do at Pennington Park Church, we want it to be centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want you to know Jesus deeply so that you can then share Jesus widely with those around you right? We want to keep the main one, the main thing. Now, every church has the same, basically the same mission, right? From Jesus. But every church um, lives that out a little bit differently, right? Every church is a little bit unique in the way that they pursue that because every church has different leadership. It has a a different gifts, a different context and makeup of the people, different uh, needs in the surrounding community, And so the question that I want us to to wrestle with in this kind of DTR moment is, how do we, Pennington Park Church, uniquely live out this mission, right? How do we pursue this mission here at Pennington Park Church? And that's what we're going to answer over the next couple of weeks. And I'm kind of envisioning us walking around Cedar Lake together as we talk about who we are as a church, well, in describing who we are, we use these six uh, core value statements that all begin with the phrase, we are, which is the title of this, uh, of this quick sermon series. And our core values, which are on the wall out there in the lobby, these help to clarify um, the things that matter most to us. They are principles that undergird, influence, and help clarify not only the things that we do, but how we do them. These core values help answer the questions: Who are we? What defines us? What's really important to us? And what are the non-negotiables of our church? I want to be clear um, that these core values—they're different than theological statements of faith. Okay, we have a a, a theological statement of faith um, elsewhere that's on our church website if you're curious. But these core values are statements that describe the flavor of our church, the culture of our church. Uh, for example, uh, when you walk into uh, Taco Bell, um, it's very different than when you walk into Chick-fil-A, right? Now, I love Taco Bell. You guys know that um, as a church, but, but there are they're different, um, different cultures there. There's a different flavor uh, among those two different restaurants, even though they basically have the same goal. They want to feed you food and make money. But at Chick-fil-A, when you walk in there, you're going to be Politely greeted, you're, you're going to be well served, and and if you want a refill, someone comes to you and asks you for a refill and refills your drink for you. In fact, they have like the the cleanest ball pit for for children known to man. Like unlike other restaurants where you're kind of afraid that you're going to contract a harmful disease, right? But at Chick Fil A, it is so clean, right? And that's because of their core values. Just to give you a few, Chick-fil-A, it says that we're here to serve, we're better together, we are purpose-driven, just to name a few. And those core values shape the culture and the flavor of that particular restaurant. See, core values are the cultural descriptors explaining who you are. And for us at Pennington Park Church, we have six of them. Our core values are that we are driven by the Bible, we are shaped by the gospel, we are known and embraced, we are united in Christ and diverse, we are participants, not spectators, and we are sent and sending. And we're gonna take the next three weeks and tackle two of these each, uh, each Sunday and be able to explain what these look like, at, excuse me, at our church. And so with that, let's begin looking at what it means to be driven by the Bible from Psalm uh, 19, and so hopefully you guys are there. We're gonna look uh, at verses seven through 11 together to be able to explain why this is a core value at our church. So Psalm 19, verses seven through 11, the word of God reads this way. It says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, reward. This is the word of the Lord. So much in here in these couple of verses. This passage is all about the sufficiency of God's word. And there's so much in here. I won't be able to get to everything here, but I want to just take a step back and just show you kind of a big picture uh, of these verses and what the Bible has to say about itself. When you look at these verses, I just want to point out a couple of things you'll notice that it contains six different names uh, of the word uh, of God. It talks about how the word of God is the law, or it's the testimony, the precepts, and so forth. These are all ways that God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed his will to us. These are kind of interchangeable in talking about the Bible or talking about God's word. You also notice in these verses that there are six different qualities or character traits of God's word. Uh, these are words that describe what the word of God is like. And you can see them there it's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, and so forth. But the psalmist here, David, also explains the effect that God's word has upon us uh, when, when it comes into our lives that it's able to revive us, it's able to give us wisdom and joy, it's able to enlighten our eyes and so forth. And this is part of the reason why we want our church to be driven by the word of God. Okay, now let me just provide two conclusions about the word of God, why this is a, a core value of our church from Psalm 19. Here, here's the first thing that I want you guys to know from this psalm, is that the Bible is trustworthy and sufficient. Notice again how this passage describes the nature of God's word. It is perfect, it is sure, it is right, pure, clean, endures forever, true, and righteous. That is an enormous and and such a significant list of words to describe something. What else in the world Would you use those words to describe something? Nothing. The psalmist David here wants us to look at the Bible and have full confidence that we can trust in it. That when we open up this book, we can read it with a sense of confidence, knowing that it is true, knowing that it is right, knowing that it is trustworthy, even more than hearing from your spouse or your best friend right? And the reason for that is because verse 7, it says that the word of God is perfect, meaning it is sufficient, it is whole, and it is complete. Now, what this means for us is that the Bible doesn't lack anything. The Bible does not need anything added upon it in order for it to be relevant for your life, in order for the Bible to actually change you, It doesn't need any of that. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible is without error. And the Bible is the foundation for how we know God, how we change, how we grow, and the authority of our church. The Bible does not need creativity in order for it to to work. The Bible just needs to be unleashed in order to do what it promises to do. One commentary said this about the sufficiency of Scripture. I love this. It says that the claim that the Bible is sufficient is the dominating tone for the entire chorus of the church, that it rests on those many parts of Scripture that speak of a completeness in God's law and word. Look, there is no other book in the world like god's word and that must shape the way that we approach it and the way that we read it and the way that it drives our church one of the things that i love about the sufficiency of god's word is that saying that god's word is this all-sufficient revelation means that no matter what sin you have in your life no matter what problem you have in your life because of the sufficiency of scripture, it is able to help turn you from that sin and lead you through those problems while feeding you joy in God. That this book contains everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus even testified to this when he was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He said that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Isaiah 48 says that the grass withers, the flowers fall or fade, but the word of God stands forever. That God's word, it's trustworthy and it is sufficient. Another reason why I think the Bible is so important, why it's a core value, is because the Bible transforms us. Verse 7 says that the Bible is able to revive the soul. This word revive can mean to transform, can mean to, to convert And what this is referring to is the entire person. Okay, so this radical change happens when the word of God is brought to bear upon your life. The Bible corrects wrong thoughts. It addresses faulty mindsets. It rectifies ungodly desires. It remedies sinful actions and impure motives. There is no area of your life That the Bible cannot and does not address in some way. And I love this this aspect about God's word. It says in verse seven that it actually makes us wise, right? It makes the simple wise. Verse eight, it enlightens the eyes. That the Bible is so trustworthy, it is so sufficient, it is so unwavering that when we place ourselves under its authority, it makes us wise. It doesn't just give us more knowledge, it doesn't just give us more facts, but the Bible helps us to know how and when to apply what is true in a given situation. Now, I think this is important because here's here's the challenge that you and I face. Uh, We we know that when we're making a decision, when we're trying to form uh, our thinking and our worldview, that we should go to God's word, right? We know that to be true. And for issues and questions that are black and white, it's fairly straightforward, right? When you're wrestling with the question of who created the world, uh, God did, right? Genesis 1, 1, right? Should you be part of a church? Yes. <laughs> is murder wrong? Yes, right? Like those are black and white issues. You can find chapter and verse for those issues. The is for us is when we are wrestling with issues when we're trying to answer questions that are not black and white, but they're gray. There's, there's some nuance to it, right? Such as, are fertility treatments morally right? Or what type of education should my child receive? Public, private, homeschool. Or, or, or what, what kind of car should I buy? Right, like you're not necessarily going to find chapter and verse that specifically answers some of those questions, kind of, kind of the questions that are in the gray. And the challenge is, is it's in that space that you and I live our lives. We are constantly wrestling with issues and trying to answer questions that have nuance to it that not that doesn't necessarily have chapter and verse to it but we believe in the Bible, right? So we come to the Bible and we think, okay, God, I want to make the right decision. Show me what decision I need to make, what choice I need to make. And yet we can't find chapter and verse. And so a lot of us get frustrated at that. And we think to ourselves, God, I just want to honor you. I just want to do what's right, but I don't know what to do. You're not, you don't speak into this issue. So I'm going to go and Google the right answer or I'm going to go uh, ask somebody else uh, about what I should do over here. And our confidence starts to move away from the Bible towards other things. When in reality, what God is trying to do in us is he's trying to cultivate wisdom within us. He's trying to shape the way that we think He's trying to to create this dependency upon him so that we're not just a bunch of robots thinking do this, then do that, then do this. No, he wants us to take principles, timeless principles that we see all throughout the Bible and to apply them in a given situation, which means we need a dependency upon God and we need to throw ourselves upon the word of God. Because we live in the gray every day, it doesn't mean that we go to the Bible less. We go to the Bible more. Why? Because the Bible is able to make the simple wise. It's able to enlighten our eyes, that we dig into it thoroughly and relentlessly because it's shaping us. It's helping us become wise people so we know what to do in a given situation. I found a statistic that was alarming to me. I saw that uh, on average, uh, Americans have nine Bibles in their home. On average, nine different Bibles. And yet biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high. I think it's really in- an interesting combination of things when you think about it. That people are reading and knowing the Bible less, and yet they have so many Bibles just kind of laying around their house. And, and that's why this core value is important for us because we don't just want to have Bibles laying around. We don't even just want to read the Bible, but we want the Bible to drive us. We want the Bible to inform and to impact the way that we think, the decisions that we make, and the desires that we crave. I love Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. This passage must shape our expectations regarding the word of God. It says, For the word of God is living and it is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Look, we become desperate for change and for growth when we understand that the Bible is sufficient and the Bible is living and the Bible is active. That desperation is the key to spiritual transformation. And look, I I just wanna stop right here and I, I just wanna lay a challenge before you as we think about 2021. Again, I don't know if you do New Year's resolutions, but I just wanna challenge you to not just read the Bible more, which is a great thing, which is a good thing to do, but I want to challenge you in regards to your expectations about the word of God. I want to challenge you in 2021, that when you approach God's word and when you read it and when you open it up, that you have an expectancy that this word will change you, that God will speak to you, that God will revive you, that God will transform you, that it may not happen in a moment, It may not happen like overnight, but gradually, incrementally, as you put a deposit into your soul with the word of God, God promises to bring the growth and to reviving you. And my prayer is that we would have that type of expectation about the word of God, that God will speak that God is living and active through his word, speaking truth into our lives. I really believe that expectation about God's word not only will impact your frequency in this book, but it will impact the depth and the hunger that you have for God and for his word. 2 Timothy 3 declares that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Praise be to God for this gift that we have in God's word. Now, there's a lot more I could say about God's word from Psalm 19, but I wanna maybe press this home about how we actually live out this core value at Pennington Park Church, because the reality is is that every church should have this as a core value. Every church should have something about the authority of God's Word, but I just want to apply how we come underneath the authority of God's Word and the sufficiency of, uh, of the Bible. In fact, here's the description of this core value. These are on the website. They're also out in uh, the lobby that we kind of provide some, uh, some words about what we mean by this core value. We say that the Bible is the authority over all our beliefs and practices. It's sufficient for the Christian life and the church's ministry which means every decision, sermon, and ministry is anchored in God's word. Okay, so a couple of ways that we live this out. First, corporately, when we gather together as a church, the Bible is our authority, right? Man's opinions, man's ideas, man's creativity is not what transforms our hearts, only the Bible does. And so that impacts the songs that we sing, The prayers that we pray, even Mark, one of our elders, prayed a prayer. I think he quoted like seven different passages of scripture, right? It impacts the scriptures that we read and what we preach upon as we try to create space for the spirit of God to take the word of God to transform the people of God. Now, obviously, this is demonstrated most clearly in the preaching of God's word. Our normal preaching diet is to walk through books of the Bible, walk through uh, these books verse by verse, that we believe in preaching where it takes the main message of the text and that becomes the main message of the sermon. We think modeling that and instructing the church about what that looks like informs the way that we should read the Bible and study the Bible for ourselves throughout the week that it's a declaration that man's ideas are like flowers that fade, but the word of God stands forever. Another area that we live out this core value is through our ministries, our ministry philosophies. They, they all prioritize the word of God, uh, teaching the word of God, learning the word of God, and living out uh, the word of God. This impacts uh, the curriculum that we select in our ministries. This impacts the, the resources that we recommend and, and how we think about various topics and issues. Just to give you one practical example, as a few years ago, we were thinking about what type of, of curriculum we wanted to choose for children's ministry. And there are dozens of options and they all prioritize different things. And what we wanted was a curriculum that prioritized not entertainment or kind of babysitting the children back there, but the word of God. And so the gospel project is where we land because it, it, it's grounded in the word of God and it connects it to the gospel and to who Jesus Christ actually is. Now, another key area where the Bible impacts our church are the, is the decision-making process by the leadership of our church, staff, and elders. As we think about making decisions, there are so many different variables, but the one variable that holds the most weight is the word of God. In these scenarios, someone's asking, what does the Bible say about that? Or how does the Bible impact the decision that we are making here? And the reason that's true is because we are driven by the Bible That we want to be this church that not only loves sermons, but we love the word of God and hearing from him. So we are driven by the Bible. Secondly, though, the other core value I want us to look at this morning is that we are also shaped by the gospel. Obviously, these go together, um, but we are shaped by the gospel. What we mean by that, the description, is that the gospel motivates and empowers our thoughts, desires, and actions. We never move past it, but we go deeper in it. We want Jesus and the aroma of grace and truth to permeate everything we do. All right, Titus chapter two, uh, verses 11 through 14 reiterates this. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, There's a lot in here but let me just point out two things about how this core value impacts us as a church. The first thing to point out is that the gospel saves. The gospel saves. Notice the power of the gospel in verse 11. It is God's grace just found in the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves sinners. That God's grace in the gospel, it's not neutral, it's not passive, it is not inactive. But when God's grace appears to you, when it comes into your life, it will change you. That God's grace, what it does is it takes our dead hearts and it converts us, it regenerates us, and through faith in Jesus, we are freed from sin and condemnation. The gospel is that powerful. And and all of that is true because of what Jesus Christ did for us 2,000 years ago. This is where we anchor our church within the person and work of Jesus Christ that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ got up on a cross and he died in the place of sinners. He took our sin, our disobedience, our offenses against a holy God, and he died in our place, taking our punishment. And, And what Jesus did there is he made verse 11 possible. What he did is he allowed the grace of God now to appear to us and to change us and to save us. Look, there is nothing more powerful in the world than the gospel of Jesus Christ that takes filthy sinners like you and me and makes us righteous and accepted before a holy God. And I, I just have to pause here this morning. And I, I have to ask you do you believe in this gospel? that has the grace of God appeared to you in your life and has it saved you? Has it changed you? Have you put your faith, your trust, not in yourself, not in your works, not in your church attendance, but fully in Jesus Christ and turned from your sins? Look, that is the most important question that you will ever answer in your entire life. And it's the question that you have to answer. And if you want to learn more about what that looks like to put your faith in Jesus, any, any of us after church would love to talk to you about what it looks like to trust in Jesus alone. Now, the challenge is with this core value and when we think about the gospel is that for many of us, when we think about the gospel, that's what we think about. Like we think about the forgiveness of our sins. We think about, okay, heaven, uh, eternal life, salvation. And that, that's, that's fine. Like that's a good thing. We need to celebrate that but the gospel is more than that. The gospel not only saves us, the gospel actually shapes us. That the power of the gospel not only frees us from sin and condemnation, but the power of the gospel is able to impact the way that we live our lives. Look at verse 12 here, at what Paul has to say. He says, that it's this grace of God, the same grace of God from verse 11 that brings salvation is able now in verse 12 to train us to say no to sin, to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to living a self-controlled, upright and godly life here in the present age. Now, how does the gospel do that? The gospel does that by providing a grace-based motivation for obedience rather than a merit-based motivation for obedience. The gospel shapes us because what the gospel does is it creates within us a motivation to pursuing godliness that's not out of earning something from God, but it's out of enjoying someone who is God. This is really important. In fact, Tim Keller... This is one of my favorite Tim Keller quotes. He says that religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted before God. But Christianity says, I'm accepted because of Jesus Christ, therefore I obey. This is really important. All right, Can I, let me just be frank for a moment. This, getting this right is one of the most important things that will generate growth in your life. Getting this right is the difference between being a I have to type of Christian where I have to obey compared to I get to type of Christian where I get to obey because I'm enjoying God because of what Jesus has done for me. This is so important. And this is what the gospel does. Now, this is important also because here's what tends to happen in our own lives. That there, of course, there are some of us who, who falsely believe that it's our obedience that saves us, right? Which is not what the gospel would say. But the longer that you're a Christian, I think that the easier it is to slip into this mindset that it's my obedience that keeps God's love upon me, right? It's so easy to slip into this mindset where the more that I obey God, the more that his love will be intensified in my life, right? Or, or, or when I'm not obeying him as much, his love is not going to be as intense. And yet the scandal of grace and the reason why the gospel is so powerful and so important is because God does not love us more on our best days, and he does not love us less on our worst days. That because of who we are in Christ Jesus because of the gospel. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our shame. He sees Christ. He sees us hidden in Jesus Christ according to Colossians 3. And what that means when God looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And so you're accepted, you're whole, you're righteous, you're complete And so God's love doesn't increase or decrease based on your obedience because of who you are in Jesus. And this motivates our obedience now, not because we get to earn something from God, because we already have all that we need in Christ. We have an unchanging acceptance before God in Jesus. And so now we obey out of gratitude, out of love for our Father, And out of a desire to be who we truly are in Christ. And yet the gospel gets better. The gospel not only frees us from the bondage of sin, not only saves us, not only gives us the correct motivation for obedience, but the gospel is actually something that we can display in how we live our lives, in every area of our lives. All right, let me give you an example. Um, Parents, We have an opportunity every day to display the gospel to our kids. And one of the most powerful ways that we can display the gospel to our kids, that we can make Jesus look like the ultimate treasure is through our own repentance. Now, mom and dad, when you sin in front of your kids or towards your kids, when, not if, when you sin in front or towards your kids, you have an opportunity before them to display what the grace of Jesus is all about and what it means to truly repent. That when you own your sin in front of your kids, when you ask for forgiveness, and when you talk about the grace that is found in Jesus because of the gospel, that that is one of the most powerful ways that you can display what the gospel is all about. That's one way that the gospel shapes parenting, that being the best parent that you can be, not because you're trying to earn something from God, but because you already have it in Jesus, and now you're looking for opportunities to display it to your kids. The gospel impacts our, our marriages and our friendships and, and how we work. The, the gospel is able to shape and train us for righteousness and to live a godly life. This is why this is a core value of our church, because there, there are so many things that want to shape us, as, as a people. Uh, entertainment wants to shape us. Being, being cool or, or hip wants to shape us as a church. Uh, fear wants to shape us. Uh, shame wants to shape us. Merit wants to shape us. And yet for us at Pennington Park Church, we want the gospel of Jesus Christ to shape who we are as a people. So we're not only proclaiming the gospel, but we are embodying the gospel as we live with each other as we treat one another, that the result is that there is this aroma of grace for people that walk in, and it's a beautiful and powerful thing because you have received eternal grace in God. We can extend grace to one another. And so the result is that we are a grace-motivated, Jesus-exalting, gospel-shaped people for the glory of God. I'm praying that we become a people in 2021 that's more driven by the Bible and more shaped by the gospel than 2020. Let's pray together. God, we praise you and we thank you for your word and for the gospel. God, we thank you that we don't have to guess what you desire from us. God, we don't have to guess uh, if you love us or not, but we look to your word and we look to the love that you displayed in and through the gospel to answer those important questions. And God, I pray as we start a new year, Lord, that you would anchor us in your word, that you would give us affections for you that we've never had before. And God, even though we will experience trials this year, Lord, we thank you that your word tells us that you will walk alongside us in the valley. So Lord, would you deepen our trust, deepen our expectancy of your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.